Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for another episode of Wusha Workshop. Today we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. We're not going to be doing a movie. My head's too foggy today to talk about movies, so we decided that we're going to talk about game design, and what we're actually going to do is we're going to design a game in an hour. We're going, to, we're going to have a design session that's an hour long and see where we end up at the end of it. We're not guaranteeing that we're going to come up with a game in that time. If we can, we will. We'll see how, how good we do. But we thought it might be interesting, to because we've never worked together, to just try recording uh, you know, a design meeting and see what happens, essentially. Um, First time we've done anything design-wise. I think we've talked about like workshop stuff in the Wushu workshop, but they're like super leaning into a workshop on this one. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a heavy heavy focus on workshop episode, uh, and so mm. I'm actually going to start a timer, and we have an hour, and so uh, you know the timer is set. I will have to check on it periodically because I don't have it set to an alarm. Um, I'm not technically savvy enough to do that on my phone. Um, so sorry. So so Joel, here's what I was thinking. I had a a very rudimentary concept that I came up with in the shower this morning. So I basically. You know, I, I thought about it for five minutes, and I sent you. How many words would you say that is that I sent you? Like, I, didn't, I don't know. I, I didn't even read them actually. Okay, all right, all right. So, so step one will be you have to read what I actually sent to you. Um, all right. All right. So, but but here, here's what I'll do. I'm going to send it in the Skype window, and well, I can see it right here. I got it pulled oh, up. Okay. All right. So yeah, I, I, so I'm tech savvy. I'm a millennial. All right. So it's called Schlock. Is this the one? Yes, it's called Schlock. First of all, five points for the name. Excellent, 100%. All right, character creation. Pick one thing you are good at. You roll 1d20 for that thing and 1d10 for everything else. Okay, I like that. Uh, defenses. Uh, characters all start the game with the defenses of five, which I assume is just the difficulty of getting hit on that d20 or d10 roll. Yep. Uh, bit players usually have defense of five. Henchmen usually have defense of eight to ten. Villains have defense range fifteen to twenty. Villains are much harder to hit. And, and actually, that uh, I decided that that should be ten to twenty. That was uh, the one thing that I forgot to update. Um, oh, sorry. Go on. Go on. Oh, sorry, I was some coffee. Okay. Attacks. Roll the attack against the defense. Very simple. Very d twenty ish. If the result meets or exceeds the defense of the character, uh, the character possesses the next wounds. Uh, the character progresses to the next wound stage. Okay, so you have like stage health. Yep. I'm a big fan of that. If an attack is tagged with a wound stage, then it automatically shifts the character to that point on the wound meter, or if they are already there, it shifts them one further over. Yep. You always do that. Like Every time I read your rules, it's like you say the whole rule, and I get it, then you re-explain it in a different way. It's like, look, one is sufficient. <laughs> I don't want there to be any misunderstanding of the, of the, of the rule. Uh, you know what that comes from is fucking 3.5. No, <laughs> like, I, I, it comes from the fact that I find people misunderstand what I say a lot. And so I always try to rephrase it so that it's clearly understood. Because I'll say something like, okay, you, you, you roll 3d10 and you take the single highest result. And then I'll get reviews where people say you roll 3d10 and you add them together. Do you know what I mean? And so th that's, why, that's why I restate things all the time because I've seen how frequent... And, and it's not... Maybe it's just that people read something fast and then they don't quite get it on the first read or something. I don't know, but I, I like to... Usually your systems are about this approachable and simple, too. They actually have a lot of in common, a lot in common with the uh, the Blue Book World of Darkness. Uh, I don't know if you ever played that game. But, like, it was this really elegant little system where it was just little, just add together two different pools of D10s, roll, and you're looking for eight through tens mm -hmm. for successes. And then it had a, a four-tiered system for uh, success. You could either get a critical failure, a failure, got no successes, a success, or at least one success. And then um, if you got five successes, that was a critical success. So, like, uh, just a second, my little brother is talking to me. Uh, give me an hour. <laughs> he wants to come over. All right, so he's going to have to wait an hour, though. So well, by the way, we're already at 3 minutes 30 seconds, just so you're... Let me, we probably should have started beforehand reading this, but I think reading it in, in media is, like, is a good idea. All right, Death and Dying. Every character has a wound meter representing different stages of harm. At any given time, your character can be scratched, bleeding, out, and dead. That's actually very similar to the ranks that are in Weapons of the Gods, by the way. I know that because I was obsessed with that game. Uh, roll 1d10s anytime you get a 10 result and the difficulty is higher than 10 you can roll again add it to the result once that's cool they got like a limited explosion 
Yeah, well, it's just because the difficulties obviously go up a little bit. So yeah, and that, that will allow you to uh, to hit those more powerful guys, even if you only get a T ten for attack. So all right, so, so not a bad foundational premise. So here here's what I was trying to achieve, and obviously these would have to play testing would definitely change a lot of these, like the difficulties are subject to you know. But the idea was I wanted a, a system that was as close to systemless as possible, so that mm. every release. You could tweak the rules a little bit for that specific release, but mm. these core rules are inviolable. These cannot change. You can add to them, but you can't take away or change them. Do you know what I mean? So you can tack on new things, but you can't you can't like modify an existing thing. And so and it's called schlock, and the reason why is that this is the concept. Do you remember how can I put so Okay, do you remember the character from Kill Bill? Did you see Kill Bill? Hell yeah, I saw okay. Kill Bill. Do you remember Kill Bill 2, the guy in the uh, strip club, the owner of the strip club? Like, very vaguely. Is the guy that uh, Bill's brother worked for, right? Yeah, yeah, the guy that's doing cocaine in the city. So imagine a guy like that who's uh, a, a producer, and he's producing a series of adventure modules, but it's sort of like a straight-to-DVD type of line, right? And the G, the game master is sort of like the director. And so... This guy sort of presents with every adventure like a a schlocky premise. And you have this running sidebar along this little miniature adventure type thing where the guy is kind of berating the GM. Like, you know, like like as as the as the as, but but within the berating is like actual good GM advice for running the scenario. Um it's more like the framing device for how you're gonna yeah, uh, yeah, it's sorry. sort of like, he's the producer, you're the director, and you need to make this work, damn it. And, you know, and, and it'll be stuff like, like, the concepts will be wacky. It'll be like, the guy, like, I was doing cocaine, and I, I, uh, I, I, I was listening to Deep Purple, and now I want you to make a movie about a woman who sets people on fire. Do you know what I mean? Like, something like that. Like, a, uh, just like schlock. Do you know what I mean? Like, schlocky movie premises of any genre. As sort of the, kind of the concept. Wood sort of thing. All right, so my question then is, are the players actors, like in the Hong Kong action no, Well, it's, I haven't quite... I mean, uh, I, it's not so much about that. That's more like the framing device so the GM can understand it. The players are not really actors, but every scenario is kind of contained in the way a movie would be contained. Do you know what I mean? So, There's still like interesting characters across a campaign like you would traditionally do. I mean, but, you could if you wanted to, but I'm picturing it more like this is like a... You know, I'm going to run like a Friday the 13th type scenario. Oh, or I'm like gonna... a, a pickup game kind of thing. Because, I, mean, I mean, that's why I mean, that's why you only get to be good at one thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that would be sustainable over a long series of campaigns. I think it's... So, so basically, this is a one-shot. Yeah, thing. yeah, that's the idea. That's the idea. I, I, I think I kind of love it because, and hear me out here, you could do different premises, like different movie premises. Like, say you want to do Friday the 13th. Clearly, Jason, your Jason character would be the main bad guy. Yeah. But the characters could all have roles that were essentially non-combat. You could have, like, the jock and the brain and the cheerleader. Yeah. And that could be the one thing that they're good at. And so the scenario you could make for them could rely on them you using teamwork while this Jason guy tries to hunt them and pick them off. Well, and, and that's the one wrench in the system that I sort of identified is obviously the go-to thing is, well, I'm good at combat. And how and again, and also how narrow the thing needs to be. Do you know what I mean? Like combat as a category might be too general. You might have to say, like, I'm good at shooting. Do you know what I mean? Or I'm good at, you know, something a little bit more narrow. Um, True. But when it comes right down to it, a very simple resolution system like this is going to create a, a sort of binary do you get what you want or not? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's fine. Like, I was actually thinking about kind of lamenting the more complex combat resolution system in my game because my game is roll a big pile of dice and branch them off into sets, and then each one does something for you. But, like, in, it it doesn't have the immediacy of D&D where you're, it feels like you're trying to hack at somebody with a sword and sometimes you just fuck that up and sometimes you cut their head off. There's something like visceral and immediate to the way D and D does it that is lacking in my system. Now that's by design, yeah. but that means that there is an advantage that you can lean into with a leaner system like this, and uh, I like that. And it could work, and it does work for different kinds of like pulpy premises. Uh, the question I would have 
is like, okay, so we we run into a, a an issue with like the the fighter problem. Like it's yeah. kind of not super fun to have a party of four fighters in D anD. d But if you were saying like, okay, we're doing a Hong Kong action theater thing, you're all kung fu masters from variety, and you have to beat the bad guys then you only have four fighters versus X other number of fighters. That seems like it'd get kind of tedious. So how do we add nuance to that is my question. Like that's, that, that's that, what I don't that, know yet because I, I haven't really thought about it beyond the beginning stages. That's what we're, we're doing here. My only real, so my design goals going in though, are I want it to feel like you're not actually learning a new system when you play this game. That's why yeah, it's so it's simple. Like, I want it to feel yeah. like, okay, you can describe this to somebody in two seconds and they don't have to, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of going to have to leave a lot of stuff up to the GM and the GM's judgment as a result of being so simple, uh, which will result in potential confusion there. But I do think on the point of how do you get any amount of granularity with combat and how narrow can each of these categories be, you probably do want a certain amount of clarity just so that it's not like, well, I'm good at, you know, well, I, I had a police system. work. And so, therefore, I get like 18 different things that I'm actually good at. Do you know what I mean? Or, or I'm good at being a special forces agent. You know, like you, yeah. can't, you don't want to have the, the whole occupation. What you want to have is like some smaller element of it. And another thing I think, another thing is that I think you should have maybe you should have a skill that is generally or like possibly you can make any skill generally combat applicable if you simply describe it well so maybe you're a super good cook and that's not really a combat applicable skill unless you go nuts on somebody with a pan in a kitchen or something like that so like you have these scenarios in which okay you can use that for combat and that way the guy that has like you know oh i've got super good with guns and my thing He's, a little, he's reliant on things like having ammo and being in a scenario where he can actually see his target, whereas the kitchen guy isn't usually useful, but at the same time, when he gets in the kitchen... Eh, well, I don't, awesome. think, I don't think he should be able to use pans, but I think what he should be able to do is he should be able to come up with a cooking solution that might harm the bad guy in the... Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe he can, he can concoct a recipe that'll, you know, mess with the, uh, the villain's you know makeup because he's a monster or something i uh, yeah we're, we're kind of leaning into rhesus here because that's that's sort of what you do in rhesus is you have the, the way they work similarly and the idea with rhesus is that you should have a skill that is extremely corner case like sous chef or something and then like try to work that into clever descriptions of how you use that to solve your problems yeah and I, okay so here's the thing I, i'm a I, I'm there, I, I don't like the idea of just because you describe something well that you get a good result. I do like the idea that because you use something in a clever way, you can get a good result. So, yeah, and that, that's the, the line between playing that game in a way that's satisfying everyone and playing that game in a way that's frustrating for everyone. Because if it becomes, I want to justify my best number, that's... That's not satisfying. And I play it like Cortex devolves into that, Fade devolves into that, Reese's devolves into that. Um, well, every game I've played that has that element, you have people that like constantly have to justify the use of their best number, which isn't really very satisfying. And I, and I can't remember if it was you or Jim. I know I was in a conversation about this with somebody where when games reward description, you tend to get excessively long descriptions. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean from people? And yes. so I don't want that. That's not what I want. I want people using their one thing really cleverly, but I don't want them, you know, I don't want, I, I don't think because the player describes it in detail that it needs to, to give them a bonus or anything. Um, but I also have an interest in this kind of being, like I said, schlock. So I don't, the, the characters don't necessarily need to be able to contend with the bad guy. Some of them just need to get eaten and die. You know, like it depends on, it depends on the scenario, obviously. But this is like a game where, like, imagine you're running the thing, right? Not everybody's going to make it through the thing, you know? No, or, and, um, and I don't know that I would call the thing schlock, but just, you know, just as an example. The premise is a little schlocky. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm picturing stuff like Leprechaun, stuff like, you know, <laughs> you know oh, Friday the 13th, yeah. you know, a really crappy, you know, martial arts movie, that sort of thing, you know, crappy action movie. Um, but... Burning of the Doom kind of thing. Yeah, but, but definitely <laughs> something that's that leans heavily on characters dying fairly easily. 
You know what I mean? So what do the characters, what do the players do when their characters die? Do they just sit around? And watch yeah, they just or... sit around. It's you know, or they make a new character. I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. I'm not. I don't. I don't have a lot of mercy see, in my heart. I for... the ranks of the bad guys. I always love that. Well, oh, you're dead. Well, guess what? You used to I, trouble everybody. That's else, fine. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I don't. I don't have a lot of mercy for player death stuff. I feel like people <laughs> are way too. They're just. I don't know. I, I I need character death in my game, and I don't mind if that means I'm out for the count or if I have to bring another character in or whatever, you know, I don't know. I don't really have a particular path in this game. I guess for Schlock, what you just said probably would work the best, which is... Yeah, just can, give him yeah. a bad guy and have him go or something. But I, but or, I think yeah. that would probably really be dependent on the scenario that you're presenting. Like, I think in a certain scenario, that might be a rule that you would add. Everybody who dies becomes like a zombie under the control of Dr you know, blah, 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 you know, like, like that, that could, that could certainly, yeah, work. I mean, think about like doing an evil dead style where if you die, you're a dead eye now, yeah. you know, like that's kind of what I'm envisioning here, but it doesn't have to be directly linked that way. You could just say, okay, okay, you as a player now get to make a move on the bad guy chart. So let's say you're like, you're doing Freddy Krueger. All right. So he gets one of you in a, in a nightmare. So, like, okay. So now you, you as a player can, anytime you want to activate one of Freddy's powers to like jump scare someone and startle them. That's the new power you have. You just wait for the best time to do that and then just crack that open. And you get to do that once per X number of times. So that way they're still kind of engaged in the game and they're still paying attention to what's going on because they still have kind of a role to play, even though it's not directly connected to their role as a character. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could... I, I, I think... I think in, 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 in a Nightmare on Elm Street, I might just be inclined to have them introduce a new character or let them play a bit person or something. Do you know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. But but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like like I I, I guess giving because because my issue with that is then you're sort of treading on the authority of the GM there, which is something that I'm not always a fan of. Um, I could be persuaded on it though. We only have an hour, so I don't want to like get too precious <laughs> about my ideas. Um, well, I mean, it doesn't have to be something the GM has. Because I mean, you could just you could give them a bit player that has some other small advantage that they could add that's just not as good as their original one. You know what it is? Here's what I would like. If you want to do that, that's fine, but I would like it to somehow be connected to the stuff that's actually happening in the setting. So, like, if a player has that power, I want them to be something in the setting that actually has that power. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That That is easier for me to sort of grasp as a... You want that You want that connection with what, what's going on in the game. Yeah. That's fine i don't i mean like you could even say like you get to play your own ghost or something and you have to be a bad guy now i don't give a shit like if you want that connection oh okay um <laughs> okay so so dead characters or dead dead characters their players their players can come back with well the players remain in the game yeah they're just giving control of some other element some kind of ability to control i don't know it's not quite plot but it's more like uh i don't know they're just like elements of i don't know what would you call that because you're right it's not plot exactly it's just well well how would you because you gave me a very specific example of freddy krueger well but remember give me another example so that i can broaden the the concept just they they get they get bad guy powers they get to kind of play the role of one of the bad guys so, like, if you're in uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms and you get killed by the Yellow Turbans, then you get to play one of the generals of the Yellow Turbans. Or you get okay. to maybe get to choose when certain events happen. So, like, you have, like, a, a, a famine or something that could happen, okay. and you're the guy that's in charge of that now. So, Comeback, that's... comeback is henchmen, ghosts, yeah, they get... spirits. Oh. Uh, I don't know what else. What else would there be that would be misfortune I don't know um, monsters zombies we, we named a bunch alright well alright so but the basic point is keep them in the game tie yeah, them it, to the... the problem is we just want to keep them engaged in the game even though their character is no longer in it you're understanding the character is an avatar for interacting with the game we simply are replacing that avatar and the role of that avatar with something else now, now the other issue is everybody's going to go for combat, right? Because, like, even if it's a narrow thing, if I say, okay, I'm good at the knife, right? That's well, at least something. Your knife to fight bad guys. So, uh, 
so we, we need to think about, okay, so like everyone's a fighter is why don't people do that in D and D? What's the thing that pushes them away from that and makes them go with, with rogue, with wizard, with cleric? Well, like, could... Why do they want to do something that isn't a fighter? Would fighters the best to fight? Well, with D and D, D and D is a very different game. Cause like you get different levels and it depends on the edition, but I mean, you, you have different abilities and in some editions you even level at different rates. There's all kinds of different incentives for taking different character classes. Um, here, here's what I was thinking. Um, what we could do is there could be some kind of baked in penalty for taking anything combat related. Uh, that seems a little bit, I, I would just say like, why don't you just set all the combat to equal? Just like say it's all D10 across the board uh, because it's not what you're, it's not your character's thing. And like, um, just so that thing has to be something that's a little more interesting. Yeah, but the, what if? But so that. But then, is, so what? Ha, so if somebody says I'm good at the knife, then they're not really good at the knife. They just still roll a d10, or no? I mean, they're fine at the knife, but I mean, like at the knife, are you like so? They're a knife fighter, and that's their whole life. No, that's just the one thing they're really good at. They do other things. It's just that it, you know, it's the thing you're exceptional at. Do you know what I mean? It's not, and everything else you're just normal at, which is a d10. You know. It's glossing over the the granularity of the human experience to create something more like an '80s movie character. All right. So I mean, like, but when you think about that, what's wrong with playing knife guy? I mean, like, if you the, were taking, making a schlocky action movie and one guy is like all about knives, he's the knife kateer. Nothing. Like, and that's nothing. his whole role in the movie. Nothing. It just means he might have an easier. He might have an easier time contending with the villain. Do you know what I mean? Like, presumably, you can always use your knife, and maybe sometimes you can use your really good at science skill to to come up with a way of killing Jason. Do you know what I mean? But you can always stab him. You know. Yeah, stabbing always works. So the the, I mean, like, but if you look at the core resolution system of this game. Like, okay, so you can stab Jason to death. Is that satisfying? Because if it's fun to get into an eye fight with Jason, we don't really have a problem. Well, well no, and you, I, sh- I, I used a bad example. You probably, in this game, you probably wouldn't be able to stab Jason to death because you'd probably, in a scenario involving Jason, he would obviously have immunities or abilities that would protect yeah, him. He'd, you know? he'd at least be super tough to kill, yeah. so it'd be a bad idea to stab but, stabbing. But, so let's just say it's a more generic, scenario involving a human foe you you know in those cases you would at least be able to do damage or something using the knife and somebody else with science might not be able to do those things true uh so the the question that i have to propose is like okay is that something that we have a problem with or is that fine because like when you think about it like you can have the nerdy science character who can't fight in a movie and like that can work. You can have that character. Yeah. The question is what are they, is the player in a role that is satisfying to them? Even if they're like at a huge disadvantage against the Kung Fu knife guitar, like are they doing something else that's fun? Like what are the non-combat skills do? Because right now we're thinking about it in terms of how do we affect the main bad guy, but what else can you do with your skills? Is my question like what does it mean to succeed at a skill? Um, I mean, it would just mean that you succeed at, you know, like I don't know if you have science and you say, "Hey, I want to." Science, by the way, is very broad. Yeah, <laughs> really... I, and I and I don't know. I, again, I, I what this would probably have is a list of examples to show the the how narrow it is. Right, but let's just say, let's just say it's science for right now. Right, um, or, or you're doing some kind of chemistry based thing, but like. Well, if I was a scientist, that seems like, in, in my estimation, that's way better than being knife guy because I could just make a bazooka and I don't feel like I even, like, how much do you need to roll to blow up the bad guy with a bazooka or a flamethrower? Well, you wouldn't, you know? you, you, you'd, you'd only have D10 rolling on the bazooka, so you wouldn't be too good at what? it. So, like, I can make a bazooka or a flamethrower, but we need a bazooka guy to yeah. use it? Yeah. Could I make a machine that's good at using it and send that? That would be up to the GM, I think. That's definitely a GM call. That's not something that this little snippet of rules would be able to to, to handle. True. Uh, 
one of the things that we should probably lay down is the time frame in which the movie can take place. Because I'm thinking like kind of soldering it to a Terminator 2-esque time frame where you only have three days until the apocalypse and everything is on the run and sleep deprived and caffeine infused. Like kind of a diehard or thing where like you don't really have a lot of time to plan. I think that'll reduce a lot of the I want to make a robot that shoots rockets stuff. But I think that's fine. I don't have a problem with people making a well, I think I, I that's half the fun of a game like letting people come up with that stuff. I think the issue is going to be you know, if they're really using it to go totally against the spirit of the game. You know, the GM does need to have the power to step in and say no. Like if they're making if they're making like a farm of these things. Do you know what I mean to if if it's getting to ridiculous, I think, I think it's one of those kind of I know it when I see it type situations where the DM is always kind of going to step in when it gets ridiculous. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know, but like I'm not, and I'm not even trying to really push limits of the the system. What I'm trying to think is okay, it's it is certainly fun to fight Jason with your knives or or Freddy Krueger or the Kung Fu guy. It's cool to be the guy that's like I'm going to use my knives. You guys get behind me. That's fun. You know, there's really not a scenario in which that's lame. But I feel like I don't know what I would do as science guy. Like if it was like, okay, science guy, you do your science. I'm gonna knife him to buy you time. That mm. scenario sounds really good, but I don't know. Like, okay, so science guy gets a flamethrower that he puts together, and it does exactly the same thing as science guy up and trying to punch him in the jaw because the system is so bare bones that there's not enough to kind of give you something with that. In fate, they have the creating advantage thing. Which it sort of sucks in fate. Basically, you create something that gives you a little bonus. But I think with this one, if you if you use your science, maybe it should give you the ability to just kind of like cash something in. Well, no, uh, absolutely. So like, but that I mean that goes without saying. Like that's you don't need to. How can I put it? Like okay, you should be able to with any skill. You should be able to use it to come up with solutions, right? Like okay, say Jason is proving very difficult to kill because of. He's Jason, right? Jason, you can't yeah, just you, you, can't, you can't really kill him. So this might go slightly against the spirit of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, but it's such a long running franchise. Who knows? So Jason in New York, so, dude. So yeah. So let's so let's just say the knife guy. He doesn't kill Jason, but he does manage to stab him, and he gets a little bit of Jason residue on his knife. Maybe the science guy decides, okay, I'm going to analyze that residue, and then he can find a solution that that'll illuminate how they can you know, stop Jason in some way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but like, so I, I do like that, but it, it does actually give you, uh, it, it, it brings to mind something and that that's, you're describing a very good three act structure there because act one is holy shit, Jason act two is we've stabbed him and let's analyze the thing. Oh shit. Jason's stopping us from doing that. We got to analyze it fast. Then act three is, We've got the Jason anti venom, and we gotta we gotta inject him with the things. So he goes back to torpor, like that's that's great. But you know, we really ought to make certain that we are pitching that to GMs and telling them, hey, look, here's how you structure a three act thing. And so you need to be thinking about the bad guys and their actions in terms of driving a three act plot. Uh, and the that gives a, a function to the skills too, because the skills then are a function of getting to that next point in the act structure. So this is going to be a very big sell on me because I've I you you said plot and like I winced so oh look at you so we're not going to hex crawl in this system man. no I know no. we're not going to hex crawl I know that but like imposing a three act structure Don't on a game think of it in terms of a plot think of it in terms of solving a problem because that's what a plot in a movie is you have a problem that is way too big to solve so you find a creative way to solve it. And that's something you do in D and D too. There's there's a powerful monster. There's a dragon. We don't have the ability to kill a dragon, but okay. we need to get this shit from this horde. All right, I, I'm hearing you. I'm listening to you. So, so how about okay. this? Wouldn't it make more sense to say every adventure should have a solution, and yeah. not necessarily one single solution that is in the GM's mind, but there sh- it should be solvable in some way. Like maybe the GM has an idea. But also maybe the G- the player does something and it reveals something that the GM hadn't thought about. But the GM is like, okay, this is a viable solution to the problem. So let's yeah, let's uh, let's run with this. I think that's exactly the heart of how this is going to run. Because a given session, a given one shot, will be here is a problem 
that no one knows how to solve, but it's up to the characters. And then the playing of the game will be solving that in stages. And I think that if we just give it two distinct stages, whatever it is, that'll really change. Like, think of it as one big boss monster that gets special powers when some chunks of its hit points go away. Whenever they solve one chunk of its problems, suddenly it gets desperate and goes on a killing spree or something. You know, and they they have to solve something under a lot more duress, and then they have to figure out how to deliver their final blow to it. Well, I think so you're if, you're overcomplicating a pro. I, I I I like where you're going, but I think we're I don't want to add additional mechanics to the solution thing. What I want is this overarching idea of the players are using their skill to solve the problem of the sure. adventure. Do you know what I mean? And but. You want to make certain a single role isn't going to solve it. You want to make certain it's a process of several roles with raising stakes because that's... that's but but, but should it be that way? Because think of it this way. What if you have a really long session, right? And the players are like exhausted coming up with solutions and then they, they, you know, they're being hounded by Jason and then they finally are confronted by him on a hill somewhere and this whole thing plays out that we just described where the one of the players stabs him. And let's even be more dramatic. Let's say the, the knife guy stabs him, but Jason takes off his head because he's stuck to Jason's body with the knife and the knife falls out and the other player ends up with the knife and then they take it. And then they, you know, as they're mourning their friend, they realize, Oh, we can, we can use the residue on the knife to, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to analyze it and come up with a scientific solution to the Jason problem. Wouldn't it be fair to allow that? Like, even if it's only that one role that really, you know what I mean? Like, okay, there's, there's also the, the knife role, but like, like, you're describing, all right, so he succeeds in a knife roll but dies. Mm-hmm. They get the icon and formulate a solution, then they have to deliver it. That's yep. what I just described. I don't okay. like that's three rolls. You're talking about the process there. Okay. And there it is. You could even, like, depending on how long the session you want, you could just say, like, okay, this guy is unkillable, but you can delay him or you can get clues off of him or something. But, but here's the other thing. Isn't it almost inherent that it will take more than one roll to solve a problem like this? Well, it depends on how you structure your system. Because if it's just the guy has a whole lot of hit points, it's not inconceivable that a bunch of knife guys just stab him to death, which would just be, okay, we all gang up and stab Jason. Game over. Okay, I mean, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, right. I, I think <laughs> I think it's going to be... Gen- I'd have to see the system in action to really see, like, okay, can I have a mundane plot with a mundane villain that doesn't just, you know, fall, you know... End in ten seconds because everybody rushes up to stab him. Um, but also, I don't know that you necessarily need to, you know, if if it's if it's a re- like maybe what I would suggest he, he, here here's okay. We got to look at it from the point of view of our producer character that we came up with. Um, mm-hmm. So I think what he would say is the people have to be entertained no matter what. So mm-hmm. if uh, if if the if the uh, monster or the threat, you know, is like dies because he stubs his toe in attack or something in the first ten seconds, <laughs> then that's not the real threat. There's something bigger that you can bring in or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's just the beginning of the story. Do you know what I mean? But like who's like going to plot tropes now, Brendan. I I know <laughs> I am, but like. But that's perfect, you know. Okay, so I, I'm trying to be. Yeah, but here's the thing. I'm operating within a cosmology. My cosmology is that this is a movie being produced by this 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 cokehead sleazy producer guy. And so so he's kind of the god of the setting. Do you know what I mean? And so that's that's the right, and those so are the laws that the universe abides by that you're in. Um Yeah. I'm I'm totally fine with that. It's especially because uh, like a lot of the design in Tian Shang kind of revolves around that sort of cinematic uh, viewpoint, and I like that. I like that because it's it's like part of it's sort of just entertaining the players. So like, say they kill Jason in the opening act, uh, you could then like have a, a a thing that the boss monster does when it dies too early before Act Three or whatever, where like you get uh, to describe as a GM something that's happening away from the players, like the true Jason is rising up out of hell or some shit. And then it just switches back to them uh, so that they can kind of get like what an audience would see uh, if, if they were watching this show. Like, oh, they killed Jason easily. Oh, but wait, real Jason's showing up. 
and go back to role-playing your characters. And that way they can um, sort of get an audience's eye view of it. And, um, and okay. something like Okay, all right, yeah. So I think, for, I think for the concept that we're going for, it makes sense to lean a little bit into that. I just want to be careful in how we do it because I get, I get annoyed when it's sort of like, when it's just because of when I gamed. I, I gamed through the 90s and there was a lot of three-act structure stuff that used to drive me up the wall. So, um, I don't necessarily think it needs to be a three-act structure because remember, Schlock doesn't follow the rules. You know, Schlock paints outside the fucking lines. Well, and that's okay. How I can how I can come about it is if I got this producer guy in my head, and I'm you know, I as the GM am trying to please this producer who is berating me in all the sidebars. That is, that is sort of the the universe that I want to I want this game to exist in. Um, so I will, so, so I, so here's what we have. We have every adventure. So we have those core rules and then I have these new rules that we've added at the bottom Mm. so far. And, and I guess these are, these are rules that will be core to the game. Um, Mm. so dead characters, the players have to remain in the game in some way, whether it's coming back as henchmen, ghosts or something, uh, just keep them in the setting. Uh, and and we're obviously doing that because we know characters are probably going to die, and it's a one shot, and it might not be worth anybody's time to make a new character in the last twenty seconds of the adventure, right? Uh, also, character is the matter of seconds. I want to be good at this done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the other idea here. Basically, I want I want it to feel like it's systemless. I want it to feel like okay, I don't have to learn a new set of rules to play this game. Uh, every adventure has to have a has a solution, and so adventures are a problem. No one knows how to solve, but the player characters. Um, the people must be entertained. And so, solid evening of entertainment, no matter what. If the boss monster dies in the first 10 seconds, throw in a bunch of zombie strippers and keep people happy. So it's just that kind of a, you know... we, we got to have, like, a little table. Uh, and uh, as we develop, I want to have different genres of schlock that he pitches, and maybe you could even roll it randomly. And so there should be sub-tables of... If the if it gets boring, the producer rolls on this table and demands you add this element to this genre. So like you're fighting, you're fighting Nazis and you're good, doing a great job of killing them. They're werewolves now. Keep going. All right. <laughs> How about this? What if? What if? What if we? What if we allow the players, if they all agree it's boring, to force the GM to roll on that? I would just say everybody gets to do that once. I'm bored. Okay, okay. If anybody if anybody is bored once per session. That's amazing. Once per session they can force the GM to roll on the I'll call it the producer rewrite table for now. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> so okay, so that's that. What's our time looking like? Because this is the shaping up really nicely. Uh hold on. We're 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 starting to get uh I know we're getting a little bit close. Let me see. We, we don't have a whole lot of time left. We, we're at 37 minutes. we got plenty of fucking time. What are you talking about? All right. So I think this is pretty good. You know? It's fairly um, bare bones, which is, you know, what we want. Um, kind of, I, don't, I don't know how well it would work. We could certainly, like, are there any obvious problems with it? So for, first off, let me send you what I have so that we can... We can all be. We can both be working off the same text. I'll send it in the in the Skype message to you. Um, oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's all. Yeah, neat. Um. I mean, obviously, again, my my biggest worry with a game like this would be the difficulty ratings. I don't know how those are going to pan out. Do you know what I mean? Like that's. Well, they're, they're percentages, uh, which makes them fairly easy to calculate. I mean, because a D ten is just a. You know, to uh, hundred, uh, yeah, a, a simple percentile. Uh, each point is corresponding ten percent, and then a d twenty is five percent per point. So that's fairly easy math. Um, now we need to think about how many rolls does it take to resolve something? Uh, just kind of in general terms, like is it going to be one of those like one combat round things? Everybody gets to roll bad guy rolls and we see what happens i mean we don't even have initiative or anything like that you know what i mean this is just uh, what i'm imagining is people will just announce what they do and then you know it's kind of handled do you know what i mean which is very dicey that's very dicey but it's very loose 
Uh, we should do what Cortex Plus did, which is the director says action, and uh, like the players get to choose who gets to go first, or the GM does, and then it's just like you just switch off. Like so, whichever person get goes, they choose the next person. Um, so you can kind of tag team it, but you could also accidentally line up the bad guys to choose themselves. So there's sort of a strategic element to how you want to like move the turns around. My concern with that is I think that's going to slow down the game. It might. It also just have uh, initiative by side, which I think is fine, which is both parties. If if, if we have to have initiative, I want it to be as, what's the fastest possible initiative we could have in your opinion? The the fastest possible initiative you can possibly have that I've ever seen played is the GM rolls a die, the players roll a die, highest roll goes at the end. Okay. All right. So sides, right? All right. So, so uh, the GM rolls one D10. I'm just going to make it a D10 because we know that's in the system. And yeah, the players maybe. roll 1d10, and whoever gets higher goes first. Uh, I would probably say for health, players should have three health levels, or some very small amount like that. Well, we already uh, have they that. Should... They have uh, Scratch, Bleeding Out, and Dead. Okay, yep. That's that's what I'd give Now, on. the thing is, if you're going up against Jason, though, his attack might be tagged dead. Do you know what I mean? If you're going up yeah. against a real evil badass, it might be particularly lethal. Um, Maybe. Uh, so you need a, a scenario in which you could, like, I don't know. Defense being static in that scenario isn't super satisfying. Because what it would mean is, like, well, let's say you start the game and, oh, no, there's Jason. You both roll initiative. He wins. He attacks you and gets enough to kill you. You didn't even get to touch dice before you died. Like, so that's not, like, if you had an active defense, though, you'd be able to declare something, maybe. I don't know. So say that again. Say that again, because I was I was checking the clock and I didn't hear every every word in that okay. sentence. Uh, I think that you should have some kind of active defensive option because otherwise you run the risk with a with a auto kill like that of the bad guy going first and killing you before you even touch dice, which isn't super satisfying. Uh, I might make it where like maybe you're like the nerdy scientist guy, and Jason's got a hold of you. So you can do some kind of science thing to maybe give your friends an advantage while he's killing you. It's just I, something like that. Well, but here's the thing. In Friday the 13th, Jason often just grabs somebody and kills them. This so, is true. So, uh, But is that going to be satisfying for a player? Or does it even matter? Because we're, yeah, well, we're talking about... We're only trying to satisfy our cokehead producer. Do you know what I mean? That's the, that's the, uh, that's the benchmark here. So... Now, granted, granted, we want the players to be happy too, but I think the idea is, I don't know, like, it, it, it's a pickup game, and it's, I feel like the best pickup games revel in the dismemberment of the characters, do you know what I mean? Like, allowing for, part of the fun of playing a game, like a beer and pretzels game, is knowing that you might die in an entertaining way for the other players. This is true. And plus, we already have the out where if you die before you can ch- touch dice, you usually be a part of the game. It's yeah. a different part. Now, that yeah, said, a... that said, I do think it would be fine to have, like, in a specific scenario, here's a list of abilities that players can have access to, and one of them might be something like you described, like, you know, some kind of active defense or something that gives them an extra chance at survival. But I think as a baseline, we want it to be fairly... We want we want sort of Friday the Thirteenth type stuff to kind of be the baseline of lethality and uh, you know how how you know how how easy it is for a normal character to die. Fair enough. Okay, I thought of something just now. I had a little bit of a brainwave because I was thinking about like who you make kung fu interesting. Like everybody had a different kind of kung fu, and you're fighting an evil kung fu master. Here's my thinking: What if instead of just attacking with your kung fu? It allows you to get past their impenetrable kung fu defenses so that you can attack. So, like, you've got crane style, they've got tiger style. Well, your crane style will allow you, if you succeed, to disarm their defenses. So instead of being impossible to hurt, one of your friends can now get in a lucky shot. I think that would be... I think that would be a very good additional rule to add in our tiger crane kung fu movie. (laughs) module do you know what i mean like that so i wrote that down kung fu styles allow you to get around the defenses of a master or something um i think stuff like that would definitely be defensive option because like okay 
you can't beat Tiger Style at all with Frank Style, but yeah. you can maybe survive his onslaught long enough to figure out a weakness, and then later on, when the, when the other guy gets like the man catcher or whatever, you can beat him in the later scenes. Which here's is like very... what here's what you would do. You would you would uh, if you were gonna make so you we want to make sure that we have these base rules that'll work for a lot of different genres, mm-hmm. but we want to keep the base rules as base as possible. But then you would like go home and say, okay, I want to do this kung fu thing. I'm gonna go watch Snake in the Eagle Shadow. And I'm going to watch it, and at the end of watching it, I have to say, okay, I need to make Snake and the Eagle Shadow work with this system somehow. I need to make it a functional adventure. And so what it is encouraging us to do is it's encouraging us to embed some of the interesting mechanics into the adventure itself. Do you know what I mean? So we could go a number of different ways. We could go the way that you just said, where if you learn a certain style, you can you know, get around the defenses. Or maybe the whole adventure actually hinges on the player creating a new style or whatever so it is very common actually i think we might have if not all of it at least the core of it i think this is it dude well we'll see i mean we're what are we at we're at um we're at my only question now is what else we need to add to the core for it to be what it needs because i i mean like this is pretty much it I mean, I don't uh, want the core. I don't want the core to be more than a page, if possible. Yeah, like, and this you're looking at a page right here, but this is a really good page. Yeah, you I, know. I, I th- but what I'm what I'm thinking is, we've done this under forty five. Now, granted, I did bring the bare bones to the table, so it wasn't right, like we were. We, I would want to put this in somewhat more specific and mechanical language, yeah. but like we basically have a functional game here. Uh, we we've got the premise. We have the way you interact with it as a player, or as a GM. We oh. we have out for dead characters. We need to name our producer. He needs a he needs a good name. Oh um, God, he does have a super sleazy he name. Be Frank dude. something. Frank something. It's got to be Frank something. And I don't want to get like like super racist or anything, but I feel like a Greek class name would sound really sleazy. <laughs> but like not. You know, like, and I don't want to be a dick or anything. I'm not related to a lot of well, Greek folks. It's not even that. I don't. I don't see how you're getting sleaze from a Greek last name. Like that, that doesn't, like, I, I, just imagine a really thick, slimy New York accent saying a, a unnecessarily complex Greek last name, and like somehow it'll trigger in your head. I think. I think you. Not being from the Northeast. Galanokes is my last name. Frank Galasilanokes. You see what I mean? I think think you not being from the Northeast is a problem in this respect. (laughs) I think you should let me come up with the last name of this guy. Maybe you know know a lot of sleazy people, Brendan. Maybe that's... (laughs) I do, but that's what I'm saying. You want want Northeast sleaze, and I'm telling you, a Greek last name is not the way to do it. Uh, you you find your own sleaze. That's my two bits. Right, I wouldn't well, call this a system centric uh, edition of mine. So, um, all right. Well, well, we know it's going to be Frank something. Um, and we can we can deal we can deal with the last name later because I, I think I think what I want to do is I want to probably make the last name some kind of homage to to Schlock, and I don't know you know the best way to do that. Right? That's a good idea. I don't know. I don't know a lot of schlocky producers right offhand, but I bet there are some that are just truly abominable. Um, but uh, but yeah. So so here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, what we would do is, we would actually try to play test an adventure on this. Like that would be the next step. Is a is okay. is running a running a scenario, yeah. and I I think it should be the scenario I suggested, the one based on Burn, the uh, the Deep Purple song. Just try to make an adventure around that. About uh, setting people on fire. Well, I yeah, I mean, I gotta, I don't remember all the lyrics, but it's about a woman who's setting people on fire, if I recall. This is, we'll we'll see, we'll see how gameable it is. But the, but the, it doesn't even need to match the lyrics. It just needs to be what this sleazy producer would have thought the lyrics were in his well, cocaine delirium. Do you know what I mean? That's the guys that get stone drunk and listen to that song and just sort of scrawl some ideas out. So, so here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll end it here. We ended early, actually, which I think is yeah, good. But... Uh, and then we'll we'll come back next episode, and we'll, we'll either you or me. We'll probably have to alternate because I think that's going to really be an important do this part like of Manos, the hands of fate, or <laughs> it's just completely fucking incoherent. The characters don't have any like stated roles. Oh man. So, but but we'll come back and we'll 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 play test 
different adventures. We know we got to do burn, and we probably got to do the 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 tiger crane type thing that you were talking about. Um, like that. And we'll need to make sure we can do every single schlocky genre. Um, so yeah, so so we'll we'll let everybody go. Joel and I are about to go listen to Burn, I think, and then we'll uh, we'll be back with a uh, with a playtest down the road.